0: After looking into the details of how Bitcoin worked, I realized that Bitcoin could be the solution. I decided to dedicate my life to try to have as many people as possible adopting Bitcoin. In my report, I talk about basically three different types of roll One is an account model rollup. Another is a UTXO model roll-up. And the third is a shielded UTXO model rollup. Almost all of the rollups on Ethereum today, their security model, when you actually look at how they've been implemented, they devolve to a multi-sig security model. What I would like to see is that once a rollup actually goes into production on mainnet, that it actually have the true rollup security model where um, state transitions, validity proofs, um, the, the contract interactions are all secured by layer one consensus and cryptography using the validity proofs, and that's it.
1: John Light is a Bitcoin researcher who recently published a paper exploring the idea of roll-ups on Bitcoin. In our conversation, we started with a definition of what roll-ups and zero-knowledge proofs are we then went into the ways in which rollups could be implemented on Bitcoin. We discussed some of the risks and the rewards of implementing rollups on Bitcoin, and then we finished with a discussion about how the Lightning Network and rollups could be complementary to each other. John has asked to have his share of today's show splits sent to the Human Rights Foundation. So if you enjoy this episode and if you learn something new, the best way you can support the show and the HRF is to send sats over the Lightning Network uh, using any podcasting 2.0 app. Just a quick shout out before we get into the episode, today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard and next generation provider of Lightning Network infrastructure. Today's show is also sponsored by Stackwork. And Stackwork is a Lightning-powered transcription tool that takes the best of AIs and humans and combines them to make better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. We'll have more from Voltage and Stackwork later in the show. John, welcome to the show. I'm uh, excited to talk about a very technical topic today, which is Bitcoin roll-ups. Um, you've done a lot of research on this topic. Why don't you start with a background of yourself? Tell listeners about how you got into Bitcoin and
0: why you've decided to study this topic. Sure. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Um, so I've been in the Bitcoin community for a while. I've worked on a number of different Bitcoin startups. I think a lot of people might be familiar with one of the startups I worked on called Bitseed, which was one of the first hardware plug and play Bitcoin full nodes. Um, Currently I'm working on a project called Sovereign Zero, which is a decentralized borrowing protocol and stablecoin protocol on the rootstock Bitcoin sidechain. And um, I got into Bitcoin because I saw what happened in 2008 with the financial collapse and how the government bailed out a bunch of banks who gave big bonuses to all of their executives. And it just struck me as something that was so antithetical to the values that I was raised to believe in, such as free markets and competition. I believe that if businesses engage in bad practices, they go out of business, um, They don't get bailed out by the government and the taxpayers. And I thought to myself, I don't want to participate in that system. If I can, I would like to uh, remove myself from that system and participate in a truly free market. And so I started looking for alternative monetary systems, alternative financial systems, and there weren't really that many great options at the time. But there were a lot of experiments, small scale experiments, and um, I eventually found Bitcoin. And after looking into the details of how Bitcoin worked, I realized that Bitcoin could be the solution uh, that I was looking for, at least to solving the monetary problems of creating a, a truly free market sound money. and. I decided to dedicate my life to try to have as many people as possible adopting Bitcoin. I started doing education about Bitcoin and working on Bitcoin startups to try to make Bitcoin easier to use and more useful to use for those who already adopted it. And that's what I've been spending my time on ever since awesome
1: um, now
0: let, let's talk a bit
1: about you know this transition from learning about Bitcoin deciding this is what you want to spend your life on to now discussing roll-ups and where do they fit into this picture of making Bitcoin more usable uh, it's a term that I think is often heard in in crypto circles it's heard in, in the ethereum community primarily there's a lot of roll-ups on there what what is what do roll-ups look like on Bitcoin? What is this idea all about? And and how did you come to decide that this is what you want to study
0: next? So in 2020, I started looking into the different cross chain Bitcoin protocols that existed at the time. Um, There were a number of different protocols that had been built to basically like transport Bitcoin to different blockchains. Um, And those protocols all kind of had different security models or trust models that they used to pull off this trick. Um, And they ranged from like fully centralized, such as WBTC, uh, to much more decentralized and closer to the realm of trustlessness that we consider the ideal as Bitcoiners, such as TBTC. And then there's a whole spectrum of projects in between. And I I wanted to understand these different security models and trust models to think about which ones might actually be worth using as a Bitcoiner who's looking to get some kind of utility from these other chains that isn't available or maybe even possible on the Bitcoin main chain. And so I started doing research into these protocols and what I discovered was that although some of the more trustless ones such as TBTC do have some crypto economic guarantees that when you move your Bitcoin over, To this other blockchain you'll actually be able to get your bitcoin back on the main chain none of them had a true cryptographic guarantee the same way that somebody who's actually holding bitcoin on the bitcoin main chain has a cryptographic guarantee that as long as they can sign a transaction with their private keys and get it confirmed on the bitcoin main chain they can always move their bitcoin to another address, and so I started doing more research about would it actually be possible to have a fully trustless bridge to other blockchains, um, where you have basically the same security model or, or ownership guarantees that you have with Bitcoin on the Bitcoin main chain, and what I found was that validity roll-ups, which was a new technology um, at the time that was just getting developed um, for Ethereum mainly and uh, some other blockchains like that, um, actually is able to implement this trustless bridge that enables people to move their Bitcoin to a different blockchain and have a, a strong trustless or trust-minimized guarantee that they can get their Bitcoin back onto the main chain. And I found this very interesting. Um, and then fast forward to earlier this year, I saw that the Human Rights Foundation, along with Starkware and CMS Holdings, were sponsoring a grant to for a fellowship where the person who won the fellowship would do research for a few months and then produce a report about validity rollups and how they could work specifically on Bitcoin. And I thought to myself, well, I've been doing all of this research into cross chain Bitcoin protocols. I've also done some research already into validity rollups. Um, I could take this knowledge that I have and, um, you know, come together with other experts in the industry to produce this report for the fellowship. And so I submitted an application, I got the fellowship, and just uh, about a week ago, I finally published uh, my report, uh, Validity Rollups on Bitcoin.
1: Very cool. We'll definitely link the report in the show notes here. Um, but let's maybe start with some definitions for. Listeners who who aren't familiar maybe have heard these terms before, but aren't familiar with the technical details of how they work. Um, can we can we define first zero knowledge proofs and roll ups? Those two terms appear frequently in the report. I want to give listeners a, a better idea of what they are?
0: Yeah, sure. So a zero knowledge proof is a proof. That contains no additional knowledge, other than the correctness of the proposition in question. So, the idea is that you're able to, um, as a as a prover, basically somebody who wants to prove a statement to a somebody else who would be a verifier. You're able to run some computation, or, or I should say you're able to answer a question by running some computation and convince the verifier that you know the answer without actually revealing the answer to the question. So this, um, a a classic example of this in terms of how you would do this um, in the physical world would be to take a really large sheet of paper And then a smaller sheet of paper with a Where's Waldo puzzle on it. And you would cut a hole in the larger sheet of paper that was just the size of Waldo. And you would, uh, the verifier would stand on one side of the sheet of paper. And you would have the Where's Waldo puzzle on the other side of the sheet of paper. And you would move the Where's Waldo puzzle around until Waldo was showing through the hole in the much larger sheet of paper. And by doing that, you would be able to show the verifier that you know where Waldo is, but because they can't actually see the Where's Waldo puzzle because the much larger piece of paper is covering it up, they don't actually know where on the puzzle Waldo is. Mm. So this is actually a physical example of like a zero knowledge proof where you're able to prove that you know where Waldo is without actually revealing where Waldo is to, to the uh, verifier. And zero knowledge proofs in the digital realm are basically ways similarly to prove that uh, the correctness of a, of a statement without actually revealing any information about it. And a validity proof is a more general uh, version of this where you're able to run a bunch of computation over some information and prove uh, the correctness of certain statements to a verifier. In this case, a verifier is just a a different piece of software um, or another, you know, part of the same piece of software and the app, the applications of this are seemingly limitless um, but in this case the applic- uh, in the case of uh, validity rollups the application is you want to prove the correctness of or 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 validity of transactions within a block without requiring, um, layer one, uh, Bitcoin full nodes to have to actually replay all of those transactions themselves to verify the correctness. Because the way a a Bitcoin full node usually works is that it receives a block from the miners who have produced a Bitcoin block and they will actually Uh, rerun all of the uh, transactions in the block uh, or or replay the transactions in the block to make sure that they are following all of the rules of the Bitcoin protocol. And then once they have replayed all of those transactions, then they either consider the block valid or invalid. And if the block is valid, uh, then they will add it to the chain tip um, and it becomes a part of that full node's blockchain. Um, and then, you know, that process repeats itself for every new block that gets created with a roll up block. What happens is that all, uh, this, this different network of full nodes, a layer two network of, of roll up full nodes will take a, uh, will take a block that is produced by a a layer two roll up a block producer. And, uh, and then they will uh, the the rollup block producer will put the block data or a compressed version of the rollup block data into a layer one Bitcoin block as a single Bitcoin transaction, along with a validity proof. So they'll basically run some computation all of, over all of those transactions within the rollup block, and the output of that computation is the validity proof, which basically says to the layer one full nodes, this, I shouldn't say it says, it, it should prove to the layer one Bitcoin full nodes, all of the transactions within this rollup block are valid according to the consensus rules of the layer two roll-up protocol. And... When that transaction gets included in the layer one block, the layer one full nodes rather than having to replay all of those transactions that are in the rollup block in order to verify their correctness. All they do is they look at the validity proof and they run the validity proof through the verifier software. And if it checks out, basically if it comes back as valid, Then they just accept the block is valid and they move on to the next block or the next transaction. And so this is a, this could potentially be a great scaling benefit because one of the bottlenecks in scaling Bitcoin is computation. Actually running the computations that are needed to verify every transaction, to check the signature, to check the script. Um, make sure that the UTXO isn't being double spent, and so on and so forth. Um, and the validity proof enables you to basically skip all of that, and you all you do is you just check the validity proof. Is it, does it come back as valid or not?
1: Makes sense. This is a very helpful explainer here. Uh, I've, I've already learned a ton. Um, I want to I want to try and understand the the magnitude of improvement here. When you talk about scaling, scaling something like Bitcoin, what is that potential for improvement when it comes to transaction throughput that could be
0: achieved from validity rollups? That's a good question. And it really depends on the implementation details of the rollup that gets built on Bitcoin. But, In my report, I talk about basically three different types of rollups. One is an account model rollup. Another is a UTXO model rollup. And the third is a shielded UTXO model rollup. So I'll explain what each of those different models is and the differences between them. So I'll start with the UTXO model rollup because your listeners are probably most familiar Um, with UTXO model blockchains, because Bitcoin itself is a UTXO model blockchain. So this is where coins are represented as unspent transaction outputs. That's what a UTXO stands for. And users uh, basically own collections of unspent transaction outputs. And then when they want to make a transaction, they will select some of those UTXOs as inputs for their transaction, and then um, they 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 will define the recipient and potentially a change address, um, which will create new UTXOs from their transaction. So those are the outputs of their transaction. So you've got inputs, which are UTXOs that the user already owns. Uh, or maybe somebody that they're collaborating with to create the transaction, uh, already owns. And then you've got outputs, which are all of the destination addresses. Um, and, um, this is, uh, this is a, a great way to run a, a blockchain because you're able to parallelize a lot of operations, um but it also produces a lot of information about the uh, about the transactions because you might have multiple inputs, you might have multiple outputs, and this is just adding data to your transactions. An account model roll-up will reduce the amount of data that is needed for a simple spend transaction because there's only uh, a single sender address and a single recipient address Um, and rather than a user owning collections of unspent transaction outputs they just own an account and that account has a balance and when they spend money their their balance on that account is simply debited to take money out of their account and transfer it to a different account and so The way that you can communicate these debit operations is very simple. You just have, you know, Alice sends X number of Bitcoins to Bob. It's like a very small, succinct amount of information and using some compression tricks, you're able to compress that amount of information down to as little as like 12 bytes per transaction compared to a similar a UTXO model transaction, which might be more like 150 or 200 bytes. Um, so that's already over or, or less than 10% of, you know, the size of like a UTXO model transaction. Um, and then the third um, a, a blockchain state model that I mentioned was the shielded UTXO rollup and the shielded utxo roll up is basically a way to uh encrypt your transactions you apply uh, zero knowledge end-to-end encryption to your transaction so that the sender uh addresses the recipient addresses and the amount of bitcoin that is being sent are not publicly visible on the blockchain it just the transaction just looks like a bunch of cipher text on the blockchain because it's encrypted um the the uh trade-off that you're making is that these transactions are much larger in size uh in terms of like their bytes so those transactions uh, are um like six or seven hundred bytes at, at, the, at a minimum and so they're a few times larger, but um, you're able to get so much more privacy um, from those kinds of transactions because all of the, your transaction details or, or most of your transaction metadata is end to end encrypted. So it might be worth the trade off to pay a little bit more for those kinds of transactions because you're getting so much more privacy. Um, and so when you look at these different, um, roll up models, and there are other models that people could come up with, I'm sure. Um, But I look at these because these are like easy frames of reference for people. You've got the really small transactions. You've got the transactions that are closer in size to, um, like Bitcoin transactions today. And then you've got transactions that are a little bit larger at least in terms of raw bytes that, that end up inside of a block. And what I suggest in my paper, uh, in the report is that we could actually apply the witness discount that was introduced with SegWit to all of this roll up transaction data. Um, and the reason why I suggest doing that or suggest that it might be acceptable is because layer one full nodes don't need to replay any of these transactions. So there is no additional computational cost to putting these transactions into a layer one block. They do have to store this data, but storage is generally uh, considered cheaper than computation. Um, uh, and so, or it's, it's less of a bottleneck than compu- uh, computation uh, when, when it comes to scaling. And so um, if we apply the witness discount to all of this transaction data, then actually the shielded roll up transactions end up just being a little bit bigger in terms of weight units, which is how uh, Bitcoin uh, transaction capacity is technically measured um, in Bitcoin now. so the weight, the weight units uh, uh, or the weight of a shielded roll-up transaction is just a little bit bigger than like a normal one input, two output um, UTXO transaction that you would do on layer one Bitcoin today. Like those transactions are about 500 bytes. And like I said, the roll-up transactions are six or 700 bytes, uh, the shielded roll-up transactions. And then... The normal UTXO rollup transactions, if you apply the witness discount, they're only about 170 bytes compared to the 500 bytes of a layer one uh, UTXO transaction. So you could, um, it's about three or four times more transactions per block for a normal UTXO model rollup if you apply the witness discount. Um, to that data, and then if you take the account model roll up with those t- small twelve byte transactions, and you apply the witness discount to that data, then you could fit as much as say two hundred fifty thousand transactions per block, hmm. compared to two to three thousand transactions. Uh, UTXO model transactions which you might fit in a layer one Bitcoin block today so it's a it's a much greater uh, approximately hundred X you know throughput improvement for the account model transactions uh, in the in the rollup
1: makes sense I appreciate the clarity there um, i want I want to now dive into the effects of the, the effects that rollups have on privacy. Can you give an overview? Mm-hmm. Of like, what what are some of the privacy implications of rollups? Do they improve user privacy? You mentioned the shielded rollups. Um, what what's just your overall sentiment on how privacy changes in a if, if rollups are on Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, good question. So again, I think it, it, it depends on the the model, the state model that you use for your roll-up. The, with the account model um, roll-ups that, that I just described with those small 12-byte transactions, um, you're able to get those transactions so small because users are effectively ish, uh, reusing addresses. So rather than having, you know, spending UTXOs, and then generating a new address to catch the change from many of your transactions. So basically, having you know a new address uh, for every transaction, um, users would reuse their addresses over and over again. They would they would register their address as an account, which then gets represented as a four byte uh, up to four byte account number, and then they just share that account number with their counterparties whenever they want to receive a transaction and by looking at the roll up block data you can see you know that account has received this much money and sent that much money it you know it's a it's a typical address reuse like privacy model um, which is like not very much privacy um, uh, because as soon as you share your account with somebody they can see your entire transaction history very easily. Um, whereas like with a UTXO model, um, you can at least do some, some things to like introduce some ambiguity as to like, what is the change output? Um, were these two inputs to a transaction really owned by the same person? Um, and, and that kind of thing to kind of like mess with the heuristics that, um, blockchain investigators might use to try to connect addresses together. So if they use a, a, a UTXO model, a plain UTXO model um, roll up, then the, trend, the, the privacy is basically the same as it is on Bitcoin today. Um, which of course varies depending on how you're actually using Bitcoin. Um, there are ways that you can use Bitcoin that are very private. Um, and there are ways uh, that you can use Bitcoin that are not very private. And <laughs> even if you're using uh, Bitcoin very privately, if you make any mistakes it could like unwind all of the effort that you've uh, taken so far to try to preserve your privacy um so the the what's most exciting to me are some of the new privacy models that we can get uh the new stronger privacy models that we can get um, by building new types of rollups with new state models such as the shielded utxo model uh rollups that i described earlier where all of your transaction metadata, your sending address, the recipient address, the amount of Bitcoin that you're sending, or even the asset that you're sending, um, are all encrypted, which creates, uh, you know, basically a, a fully ciphertext blockchain where you look at it and you just see a bunch of gobbledygook and there's no way computationally, um, uh, or, you know, no feasible way using current computational uh, capabilities to like decrypt that information without the private keys, um, uh, which just creates basically as good of privacy as you could possibly get um, using uh, computational technology uh, and, and cryptography today. Um, I think that having transactions that are that private uh, on Bitcoin for Bitcoin in a way that is totally trustless um, is really the holy grail. Um, and what personally makes me most excited about having validity rollups on Bitcoin.
1: Right. H- how do the, the shielded transactions compare to something like Zcash using ZK SNARK proofs?
0: Um, good question. It, it is the same technology. Um, So you're using the zero cash protocol um, or a variant of it, um, which is what Zcash is based on um, to do these um, Z to Z is what they call it in the Bitcoin or the Zcash community. These Z to Z transactions um, that fully shield or, or end to end encrypt all of your transaction details. Makes sense.
1: So do I have it right then that that we can have any one of these approaches on Bitcoin? we can we can use whichever one we prefer and and potentially multiple different approaches on Bitcoin?
0: Yes, yes. So as long as Bitcoin uh, layer one has the capability of verifying the validity proofs that are used to prove the validity of these roll up blocks, you can build uh, any type of state model on top of Bitcoin. Um, you can restrict the type of state models that could be built on top of Bitcoin by restricting the computational capabilities of the proofs that Bitcoin is capable of verifying. Um, but, you know, it, a, a, the more you loosen or, or, or expand those restrictions, um, I should say, the more you loosen those restrictions or expand those, those capabilities, the more different types of state models you would be uh, able to support with with greater and greater amounts of uh, power or expressiveness.
1: Mm, I see. Now I want to get into security because that's a that's a you know a primary feature of Bitcoin as a store of value is its ability to secure your wealth over over time. Um, I think in your paper you mentioned that on Ethereum rollups are secured by a multisig. Rather than the base chain itself, um, correct me if I'm wrong there, and and uh, I'd love to learn more about the different security trade offs that you have with rollups on Ethereum today versus the rollups you describe in your paper.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So it's true that um, almost all of the rollups on Ethereum today, their security model, when you actually look at how they've been implemented. They devolve to a multi-sig security model because maybe a multi-sig is able to um, unilaterally update the contract code that is used to actually verify the zero knowledge proofs or hold the funds on layer one, um, which users are transacting with on layer two. the, but the the ideal uh, roll up implementation, I almost wouldn't even consider those roll ups uh, yet. Um, but they're they're more like proto roll ups or or something. You know, they're 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 an early uh, stage of development that eventually will become a true roll up. A, a true roll up is a blockchain that is secured by a, a contract uh, like layer on, on layer one, so layer one consensus and cryptography using the validity proofs um, to guarantee the correctness of withdrawals that are coming out of the roll-up and state transitions that happen on the roll-up. So like yeah, the rollups roll as they exist today on Ethereum, I, I wouldn't really consider them uh, roll-ups yet, um, but they if, if you ignore the multi-sig, they superficially like look a lot like rollups. They have uh, a different blockchain that is with some block producers that are putting the block data inside of layer one transactions. Um, they might even be producing like validity proofs and sending them to the contracts. But if the contract can be, the contract logic can be changed by multisig, then you know the multisig is able to change the contract logic to say the multisig can take everybody's money. And so uh, that's not the roll up security model. That's a multisig security model. And um, I think uh, uh, roll ups, when they're built on Bitcoin, um, I think that that kind of security model might be acceptable while the rollups are operating on testnet or something like that. But um, what I would like to see is that once a roll-up actually goes into production on mainnet, that it actually have the true roll-up security model where um, state transitions, validity proofs, um, The the contract interactions are all secured by layer one consensus and cryptography using the validity proofs, and that's it, Um, because that's how you're able to really get the benefits of a rollup compared to something like a federated sidechain. Because if you want a multi-sig security model, there are um, federated uh, sidechains such as liquid or rootstock, um, that use a multi-sig to secure the bridge. And, uh, they work quite well. Um, those are both, um, you know, I I would say, uh, acceptable blockchains to use if you are okay with that security model. But I see roll up as like the the next step along the path to like full layer one security. Um, because it has that security from layer one consensus and the validity proofs that are verified by layer one full nodes.
1: I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard for Lightning Network infrastructure. Creating layer two applications and services on top of Bitcoin starts with Voltage, where you can spin up nodes, get access to liquidity, optimize your node, and much more. Voltage is leading the way as the next generation provider of lightning network infrastructure. And if you wanna get a free trial and start using Voltage today, you can do so at voltage.cloud. How does something like, um, how do roll on Bitcoin happen? Like what, what is the uh, step-by-step you know, progression here from you writing this paper to, being implemented on bitcoin what has to happen along the way
0: that's a good question um this isn't a definitive answer um, because there is no official process to like adding changes um, to bitcoin consensus um and so these changes tend to happen different ways or if you look at the way that consensus changes have happened in Bitcoin, they, they they've happened. Uh, the story of how they've happened um, is different from one change to the other. But I think the process um, could look something like finding um, other developers who are interested in this idea and working together to. Um, define the requirements uh, for adding support for validity rollups to Bitcoin, um, looking at the different ways that uh, those requirements could be implemented and picking the way that seems like it would be best for Bitcoin and Bitcoin users over the long run because we have to remember that any changes that we make to Bitcoin are going to be a part of the software effectively forever. Um, and then, um, do a lot of, uh, implementation work and testing to make sure that it's working correctly. Um, and get, you know, invite people from the community to help with the review and testing and, at the end of that, if the development and testing and iteration and testing, etc., goes well, and you come out with a piece of software that you consider robust and secure and usable, then you would submit a pull request to um, Bitcoin full nodes software repositories such as Bitcoin Core, BTCD, LibBitcoin, other um, implementations that you want to support this uh, validity rollup technology. And you have discussions with the community about how you want to um, schedule activation of the soft forks that would be needed. To implement support for validity rollups on Bitcoin. And once you agree on the activation parameters, then you add those into the software and then publish the software and ask for the community to adopt it mm. so that you can get, so you can meet the activation criteria and ensure that there is a sufficiently large part of the Bitcoin economy that is enforcing the soft fork rules so that when miners are producing blocks that have validity rollup transactions in them, we can be sure that um, the rest of the Bitcoin economy or, or a large part of it is uh, checking to ensure that those blocks are actually valid. Mm. Interesting.
1: Now I want to, this
0: is by the way, that, that describes the change process that you could do for any kind of soft fork. Right. Um, but, uh, like I said, there is no real official process. So that is just one way that you could do it.
1: Yeah. Um, now, yeah. If someone was listening to this conversation and has read your report and, and they said, you know what, I've weighed all, all the pros and cons, and I think it's a bad idea. What would their reasoning be? Can you make that argument that we don't need Bitcoin roll-ups?
0: I can try. <laughs> um, so I think you could come up with a few different uh, objections to doing validity on roll-ups, like either in the near term or ever. Um, One of those objections might be, well, the validity-proof technology that is used to guarantee the correctness of roll-up blocks is too new. Like, Even though some of the underlying cryptographic assumptions are actually older than the cryptographic assumptions that we're relying on in Bitcoin today, um, such as Starks, which rely on hashes for security. Whereas uh, Bitcoin uh, signatures today use ECDSA um, or elliptic curve cryptography, which is a newer form of cryptography than hashes. Even though the cryptography might be older, the implementations are newer than say ECDSA or the Schnorr implementation that uh, just got added to Bitcoin for Schnorr signatures. Um, So you might say the the technology is newer. And so we want, more time to pass for the technology to mature, um, to both uh, ensure security, but also for the performance benefits because over the past, say five years, um, cryptographic proof technology has gone from having extremely large proofs that are an extremely long time to produce to extremely small proofs that are extremely fast to produce. I mean relatively speaking so you'd have proofs that are like you know hundreds of byte uh, kilobytes in size that take many minutes uh to produce um to to now having proofs that are like less than a kilobyte and only take a couple of seconds to produce like this is a huge difference in uh, uh in performance and so the argument might be, well, if we wait another five years, your proofs are just going to get like that much more performant, mm-hmm. um, and that much more secure. Um, so that's, that's, that's an argument you could make. Um, you could also say, well, to get the throughput, uh, like the maximum throughput that, that you're advertising, like. Two hundred fifty thousand transactions a block or something like that um you have to make blocks bigger on average like like the way that you get that much throughput using a validity roll-up is by stuffing the block full of transactions to their maximum like 4 million weight unit limit whereas blocks today yes they're um getting stuffed to their 4 million weight unit limit, but the bytes that are actually stored on disk are like, you know, you're, you're talking about like blocks that are no bigger than say 2.77 megabytes is like the largest block that has ever been found. Whereas a 4 million weight unit block that's been stuffed with roll up transactions would be closer to four megabytes. Mm. So your blocks might be about 50% bigger. And people, you know, some people might say that's a, that's a cost that's unacceptable. Um, there are ways that you could design rollups that, um, uh, restrict the, the amount of rollup data that you could fit into a layer one transaction so that your blocks would still be no larger than 2.77 megabytes, but you're going to decrease your transaction throughput um when you do that. So you're gonna you're gonna limit the the number of transactions that you could theoretically fit into a layer one Bitcoin block. Um, so there's a trade-off there. I see. Um, uh, some people might say um <laughs> that there could be unexpected uh side effects of enabling validity rollups on Bitcoin. Like even if you think that your proof system doesn't allow or, or isn't powerful enough to support certain kinds of transactions that some people might consider to be dangerous, um, like maybe they enable new forms of minor extractable value that mess with the minor incentives or something like that. Um, Even if you think they don't, that the, the proofs uh, aren't powerful enough to enable those kinds of transactions, maybe it turns out that they do. Like yeah. somebody just figures out a way to construct the transaction in such a way that your the, the, the proving system that you thought was too limited to support those ty- types of transaction turns out it is actually powerful enough to prove those types of transactions if they're constructed a certain way. I see. So, you know, those, that that's the kind of thing that it's, it's hard to know ahead of time. Um, exactly. W- you know, what people like how, or how people are going to use the, the system. Um, they might come up with a creative way of abusing it to, to construct uh, smart contracts that some people might consider harmful.
1: Right. So for so, the wrap up, you know the total the overall risks and rewards here the the high level you know rewards are we could potentially get up to you know two orders of magnitude more transactions potentially get very private transactions and those downsides m- maybe being that like maybe these implementations for roll-ups are-, are newer and less tested than some of the ones used in bitcoin today maybe there's maybe it requires um, you know, blocks to be slightly larger um, and that there may be some sort of minor extractable value? Is that, is that a high-level assessment of the pros and cons?
0: Yeah. Makes sense. I would say, I would say so. And I think, I think there are ways to design and to the, the roll-ups or the soft forks that would enable the roll-ups in, in such a way that mitigates uh, a lot, if not all of those downsides but um as with the case of the validity proofs that i was just mentioning like um maybe you know people get creative and 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 still are able to kind of work around those restrictions to to do things that you didn't anticipate Mm -hmm. um and so it's just uh it's something that uh needs to be considered and it's uh it wouldn't be the first time that you know people have realized after a soft fork has gotten to bitcoin that um things they didn't think were possible are now possible or things that they thought were possible actually aren't possible what are some of those examples
1: maybe in the past of of Um, soft fork coming in and then people realizing uh oh i didn't think that was possible but it is
0: um well i think one example would be um, which is more so the latter example um, that comes to mind uh, of like something that um, you might have thought was possible, but isn't, or you didn't anticipate, um, say a certain restriction is um, with, with the um, Taproot and, and Schnorr signature um, upgrade that just happened. Um, I don't actually remember the technical details off the top of my head. Um, but there was some discussion about a particular use case, and they realized, like, oh, actually, like, the way that Schnorr was implemented, it, 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 like, doesn't actually support that use case, um, which was not expected, um, as far as, you know, the discussion, I could tell from the discussion. Um, I, I wish I had the, the details off the top of my head um, for that one um but i don't i could send you a link uh, later um maybe you can share it in the show notes or something yeah. um as a reference for people who want to look at that um but i think i think um one uh example of like things that are possible that maybe people didn't anticipate um were things like um counterparty or uh om- omni i think it's called now yeah. uh, omni protocol Um, which are like new types of financial protocols that people are building on Bitcoin um, that can do things that you can't do with like normal Bitcoin script. Um, But people are doing, you know, different types of tokens and like DEXs and uh, a bunch of like DeFi kind of things that um, you might associate with like MEV or... Or some of these other more kind of like harmful um, types of smart contracts um, that you see on other blockchains, um, but but those those you can do those transactions now uh, on Bitcoin um, because of uh, OpReturn uh and um, other types of ways of like embedding data in the Bitcoin blockchain, um, and so I would say that is either an, an unanticipated or at least maybe undesirable way of using the Bitcoin blockchain in some people's opinion um, and uh, yeah it's like when you first look at Bitcoin it's 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 not intuitive that it could be used for that way but people have figured out how to like hack uh, <laughs> hack Bitcoin in a way to like use it for these totally like different types of use cases like not necessarily, peer-to-peer electronic cash but like actually building financial protocols with different types of assets on top of bitcoin
1: right now i want to i want to shift the conversation a bit to the lightning network and how these two ideas interface with with each other right lightning as uh, you know payment channels and then roll-ups what are the what are the similarities and differences are these going to do they complement each other is one a replacement for another? How, how, if rollups are implemented, how will these two interact?
0: So I'll start with by talking about like comparing parent, comparing Lightning and rollups. So perhaps the m- most important difference is the, the state model. So, rollups have a global state model, meaning that all users of uh, a rollup, and indeed perhaps the entire world, is aware of the state of the rollup uh, because it's publicly published in layer one Bitcoin blocks. Whereas um, uh, Lightning has a local state model where Uh, Only the parties to a channel know what the current state of that channel is. And this has implications for the usability of these different protocols, or like how the protocols are used. So with Lightning's local state model, the implication is that users have channels open to each other those channels have balances and the users are only able to send or receive as much money as they have liquidity for in their channel. Whereas with a global blockchain state model, such as rollups, users are able to send as much money as they want to other people, as long as they actually have that much money in their address, um, without needing to like open any channels with with these other users. And they're also able to receive as much money as they want from other users as long as those other users have that much money. So, you know, the same way I can just open my Bitcoin wallet and send you uh, like an arbitrary amount of Bitcoin that I have in my address uh, to your address, um, you can do the same thing on a roll-up. Whereas with Lightning, I can only send you as much uh, Bitcoin as we have available as liquidity in the 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 path between my node and your node. Um, which is a which is you know it's a it's a different model of, of usability I mean it comp- imposes different constraints on how the, the protocol is used. I see. Now, I see I would say that those are the, the main differences. Um, in terms of like usability, um, another difference is in terms of the functionality, so lightning transactions, um, can be like no more complex, uh, or like no more powerful than Bitcoin layer one transactions. And the reason for that is because, uh, lightning is settled on Bitcoin layer one, so Bitcoin needs to be able to interpret the, the scripts that are used uh, to send and receive Bitcoin over Lightning, um, where uh, whereas with a, a rollup, um, uh, layer one full nodes don't need to be able to directly execute the logic of transactions that are happening in a rollup. All they need to be able to do is to verify a validity proof. Um, so you could, in theory, have a blockchain that supports you know, like EVM style smart contracts written in, uh, an EVM compatible language like solidity and have those transactions, um, you know, executed off chain and then verified by layer one full nodes, simply using a validity proof, they don't need to know how to speak EVM or, um, any of the languages that are EVM compatible they don't know how need to know how to actually execute those transactions all they need to know is like how to verify a validity proof and so the 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 types of transactions that you're able to do using a validity rollup is like you know it's it can be they can be arbitrarily uh complex or or expressive or powerful however you want to word it so
1: i want to make sure i understand correctly then that uh validity rollups could be used for more complex transactions, maybe higher value transactions where you're not dependent on a, uh, you know, channel capacity like you are on Lightning. And Lightning is going to be Bitcoin only send receive transactions. And it's probably going to be lower value transactions um, because there is some, you know, capacity limitations when it comes to the channels you're connected with is that. Is that roughly the right idea?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then maybe the last thing I'll mention is, is, uh, the difference in throughput. So although you are limited to the channel capacity with lightning, uh, you're not really limited in terms of your throughput, except how fast can your node send a message to another node over the internet? And how fast can that other node verify that message and, uh, maybe send you a response? Um, so, like, basically, like, lightning can be as fast as, like, your computer can do, like, ECA, ECDSA operations and send messages over the wire. So, lightning fast. Right. Um, and you can do that, like, an arbitrarily large number of times as much as you're willing to pay, you know, the routing fees if if there's a routing fee involved. Um, whereas rollups their throughput is limited by how many transactions can fit or how many roll-up transactions can fit in a layer one block. So I mentioned with the account model uh, roll-ups, you could fit theoretically like as much as say 250,000 transactions per block. Like that's your, that's your upper limit of like how many transactions you can do within a 10 minute period of time uh, on the roll-up. Um, whereas with Lightning, you, you could imagine an application where you're sending like one transaction every few like milliseconds mm-hmm. or something like that. And you could have thousands of transactions happening or, or, or millions of transactions happening in that same 10 minute window of time. And it's totally unconstrained by the layer one block space that's available. Right, so um roll ups might be most appropriate for like higher value lower latency, lower volume uh more expressive or more private uh transactions, whereas lightning is really great for lower value, higher volume uh, higher throughput transactions right.
1: Now, in your paper, you, you mentioned Lightning Network as, uh, I'm just reading here, one of the most popular off-chain transaction execution protocols. Um, and you also go on to say that these off-chain protocols are designed to take resource load off of the base layer full node network. So and now that Lightning has been out for four or five years, what is your assessment of how well the Lightning Network is accomplishing that goal of taking resource load off the base layer
0: that's a really good question um it's hard to answer because of the way that the lightning network is constructed like because nodes can do transactions directly between each other um off chain uh it's hard to get maybe even impossible to get an accurate picture of how much transaction volume is actually occurring on lightning. You can talk to individual node operators and maybe some of the operators of the more popular nodes to just get a sense of like how much volume is coming through your node in a given period of time. But due to the topology of the network and 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 the overall way that the protocol works, I would say it's impossible to really know how many transactions are really occurring on Lightning. But based on some of the anecdotes that I've heard from node operators that, you know, like present at conferences or talk about these things on podcasts and such, um, it does seem like there's a significant amount of volume uh, that is getting taken off of the Bitcoin blockchain. And it's now occurring on these higher level networks, uh, Lightning specifically. So I would say as much as Lightning has been adopted, it is doing the job that it was designed to do. Um, I use Lightning um, quite often, I would say as as much as uh, I can. Um, The opportunity isn't always available when I go to buy something online, um, but when the opportunity is available, and the transaction is below a, a certain threshold, I'll use Lightning because it's just it's just a better payment experience in my opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I personally find that it it does the job that I expect of it when when I go to use it. So I'm ha- I'm a happy customer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are there any interesting Lightning apps that uh, that you've been trying out lately, or you wanna you wanna give a shout out to?
0: Hmm, Good question. Um, I mostly just use the lightning network to like buy things. Um, So I think BTCPA server is probably the most um, user-friendly like merchant uh, tool that I've seen for uh, doing lightning transactions um, as a somebody who's paying to a B- BTC pay server. Um, the, pl- the experience has always been pleasant for me. Um, I think in terms of Lightning wallets, Phoenix is uh, a go-to like recommendation that I give to people if they're just getting started with Lightning. Um, Blue wallet is, is another good one. Um, one that I've been playing around with recently is called Breeze. Um, breeze wallet has a built-in podcast player, so you could actually listen to podcasts that support the value to value protocol and like actually tip, like send tips to the podcasters as you're listening to the show over lightning. Um, and I think that's like a really cool feature, uh, to be able to monetize your content and have that like a direct, you know, fi- financial or economic relationship with your, your listeners. Um, I, I hope I see more podcasters doing that and more podcast listeners using value to value podcast apps and throwing some sats in there and like supporting the people who are producing the content they're listening to. Um, so I think that's a better like incentive aligned model maybe, um, for producing content. Yeah. But, uh, those are the ones that, uh, come to me off the top of my head. Very cool.
1: Yeah, I can speak to the uh, the value for value. Um, we, we've had, you know, I get about 100, 100 plus listeners that send in sats Oh, every, every, I can't remember if it's every week or every month. But, you know, sometimes I've had a few 100 listeners. Um, I believe that was like, maybe 400 in a month, um, different listeners sending in different amounts, sometimes really, really small, sometimes big. And it's cool to see the participation. There's always comments. Uh, I know there's a bunch of shows that are even doing more volume and getting more, uh, more SATs sent in than, than my show. But uh, it's cool to see the ecosystem is like really growing. You know, when I started, I started this podcast actually about one year ago. And I think the very first SATs uh, sat that were sent to me were from the, the creator of Fountain. And it, it may have only been just him. <laughs> it may have just been one, oh, okay. one or two. Maybe I can't remember exactly. I'll have to pull up that episode. But I think it was only a handful of people in that entire week after publishing the episode that had sent that. And now we're looking at like dozens, hundreds. Like the numbers are they're easily ten x higher. So it's very cool to see that that growth in the last uh, little while.
0: Um, I want to finish off. Up. With, what's that? I said number go up.
1: Yeah, number go up. <laughs> I want to finish off yeah, with... Uh... I, I think
0: I called it. I think I think called that a uh, value to value. You're right. It's value for value. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So same that's way what it. I meant to say. Yeah.
1: Um, I want to finish off with one uh, round I do at the end of every show. It's called the lightning round. Got some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Stackwork. Stackwork is a lightning powered platform that generates high-quality transcripts from all of your audio or video content. Uh, They combine AI engines and hundreds of human workers all over the world who are paid over the Lightning Network to assemble these transcripts. And that's what lets Stackwork create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts than anyone else. I've used Stackwork to transcribe all of my episodes on my personal website, you can check that out. Uh, I just get the Stackwork file, Copy, paste, and go. No additional editing required. If you want to learn more about Stackwork, you can visit stackwork.com. That is S-T-A-K-work.com. All right. Um, If you had to guess today, I believe there are about 250,000 Bitcoin transactions happening every day, I believe, um, on chain. Mm -hmm.
0: How many are happening on Lightning right now? Every day, like I said earlier, man, it's, it's really impossible to know. Um, I figured if I had I to collect enough based on like from, from,
1: uh, guests on this show, I'll eventually converge on like a reasonable estimate, but I know, yeah, it's totally, it's impossible <laughs> to figure it out for sure, but interested in your guess?
0: Yeah. If I had to guess based on like how many nodes there are out there, um, I guess it's maybe like between 50 and 100,000 transactions, but uh, that could be, that could be wildly off. I have no idea.
1: I'll take it. Um, if you had to guess when roll ups will be implemented on Bitcoin, what do you think? Are we talking, is this something that maybe is going to come in the next couple of years? Is this something that is a five year or a 10 year thing? What, what does that time frame look like in your, in your view?
0: That's a really good question. I think it's going to take more time for the community to even just learn about it and digest this idea before we can even start talking about timelines. But if I was, you know, optimistic, um, I think we could do it within five years. Yeah. Makes sense. Um,
1: are there any books that have meaningfully changed your view of the world?
0: That's a good question. Um, I think one of the books that helped me understand what was going on during and after the financial crisis was, um, Ron Paul's and the fed book, which like gave me more like resources to look up and more um explanations of what was going on that led me to look up more information and and just help me in general kind of like level up my knowledge about what was going on and potentially what some of the solutions might be um so i would say that was a that was a formative book along with his book uh revolution um Another book that has been impactful was um, Samuel Edward Conkin III's um, New Libertarian Manifesto and Agorist Primer. Um, uh, Kevin Carson's book, The Desktop Regulatory State, was really inspiring. Um, yeah, those, those are some of the books that come to mind. I got some great recommendations.
1: I've got my weekend reading uh, all set up now. Um, If you had to hold one asset for the next decade, with all your wealth in it, it couldn't be Bitcoin. What asset would you hold?
0: It couldn't be Bitcoin. Yeah. I held it for the next decade, huh? One asset that's, that's, that's really tough. Cause, um, other, other than Bitcoin, I think it's good to diversify because different assets have different like security properties, different, like different potential for, for growth. Um, so yeah, for me, it would be a toss up between like, I don't know, uh, like gold or maybe like square stock or, um, maybe some other crypto assets like, um, uh, SOV, uh, which is a asset for the sovereign protocol, which, uh, I'm a contributor to, um, or maybe like yeah, you said one, so that's already three. <laughs> um, it's a tough, but question. yeah, it's it's really hard. It's really hard to pick uh, because yeah, different different assets have different like risk profiles, and um, for me, if you didn't exclude Bitcoin, I would just say Bitcoin. Yeah, um, yeah, hands down. But uh, yeah, if you take Bitcoin off the table, it's really hard to decide. Yeah,
1: I think it would be a boring question if I didn't take a Bitcoin off the table because probably every guest on this podcast would say Bitcoin. Um, Uh, just one more question for you. Uh, If you could give a shout out to a builder in the Bitcoin space, maybe a company you admire, a a person you admire, someone who's building something cool that not enough people know about, who's your pick? Who do you want to give a shout out to?
0: Oh, that's that's also a really good question. Um, Because there are so many uh, builders in the space that I respect and have a lot of appreciation for, um, Hmm. I guess one, uh, one guy I want to give a shout out to is, um, Ruben Sampson, who does a lot of interesting research into, um, Bitcoin protocols, like cross-chain Bitcoin protocols. Um, and he's like helped me think through, um, a lot of different, uh, ideas that I've been working on, um, projects that I've been working on in the cross-chain Bitcoin space. Um, so he's like a pretty good thinker, uh, in that space. If you're interested in, side chains and uh, other like layer two-ish kind of next-generation Bitcoin protocols. Nice.
1: Um, Thank you so much for the time. This was incredible. I learned so much in this discussion. Uh, I'm sure listeners did as well. Where can listeners go to uh, learn more about your
0: work? So I have a website at lightco.in. That's L-I-G-H-T c-o dot and i have links to my blog and um, different projects that i'm working on on the website uh, links to my twitter page where i microblog um, fa- fairly often um but uh yeah that's the but that's the best place to follow what i'm working on awesome
1: thank you again for the time and i hope we can do it again soon
0: Yeah, thank you, Kevin.
1: In the last 30 days, you guys sent in 28,659 sats, and that came in from 145 different supporters. Thank you to everyone who is contributing to the show. It means a ton. Um, I just published the previous episode yesterday, so we didn't have any new comments and questions in the last day, but I cannot wait to see what you guys send in this week.